Well, Sean, how you been? Um, I think I've been talking about how I've been. But I know. But people who did not tune in live may not hear that. I was You've been a, traveling. I was you in, were up north, right? Or was, was that Founders Country, apparently. Oh, yeah. Founders. Yeah. Boy, they, they have been in the news for, um, did you know this? No. For controversial reasons. Really? Yeah. And this is, this is I'm not sure how to feel about it. So Founders Brewing, right? Uh-huh. Or whatever they're called. And they, they're, they're famous for their, all, it's all-day IPA. Yeah. And also KBS, KBS yep. Yeah. So that's their Kentucky Breakfast Stout. Yep. Um, and they've been around for, you know, it's been like 15 years now. You know, almost went bankrupt a few years in and then, uh, or maybe even more recently than that. Um, but uh, interesting story. Anyway, they, they were accused of, so someone who didn't, who actually had gotten fired, turned around and sued them for, um, like racial discrimination mm. and, you know, made some of course accusations in the lawsuit and, you know, some of the beer stuff that I follow, you know, they, it's similar to actually that a lot of the beer press or, or beer Twitter as it's, uh, as we like to call it, beer Twitter. Um, it's very similar to like tech press and tech Twitter. <laughs> but they're not journalists. They're, beer they're journalists. They're very woke. <laughs> and, so, you know, they jump all over this and founder. What a, oh, what a horrible brewery. And, you know, because it all, first of all, it must all be true. It's all true. Mm. Uh, and the owners must be total asshole douchebag racists and everything else. Well, it turns out, you know, founders had a, not only did they, I mean, the lawsuit had just gotten filed and, and I'm not sure what's happening with the lawsuit, but against, against legal advice, the owners came out and like published this big long statement, you know. Mm. And, you know, there's two sides to these stories and, but I mean, again, a lot of beer Twitter and the beer world wanted you to just immediately stop buying everything from founders immediately, just put them out of business. And it's like, well, and, and that that did not sit right with me. Of course, I want to know the truth. I want to know if these guys are assholes because I don't want to support bad people. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but it just sounds like there's a lot more to the story. Seems like every industry industry is kind of going through some controversies these days. I need a I need a a uh, soundboard drop for beer journalists. Your journalists. Yeah, <laughs> we could just record you, and I, we can just add some effects. Similar to this one. <laughs> real journalists, Richard. They're tech journalists. Yeah, mm. Beard journalists aren't much different. <laughs> well, journalism's dead anyway, right? We I we guess. all know that. Yeah. Um. Anyway, well, uh, yeah, founders. So I don't know. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're not buttholes, and and let the process play out before you decide to try to put them out of business. Because a lot of families depend on that brewery to operate. Yeah, some of the locals there were telling me that, you know, beer, craft beer was one of the revitalizations of their downtown area. This is in Grand Rapids, uh, among other things, among other businesses coming in. But apparently, like, buildings had been vacant for years yeah. before, you know, a lot of this stuff started coming back. So, yeah, there's there's some some people dependent on that. And can you can you finally legislate here or, or adjudicate? Are, are the Rapids really that grand? I didn't see any Rapids. Yeah, <laughs> I think the the rivers were kind of high though, as I was passing by, um, just from all the rain and melt and all that kind of stuff. It did. I believe the day I was leaving, it was the first day of spring, and it snowed. So that was kind of cool. It's it was cold, yeah, and cool. I don't think I've seen any. I didn't see any snow this whole year. Glo- I was enjoying global it. We're, warming. We were walking in it, trying trying to try out a couple of coffee shops before we left, and yeah, yeah it was um, it was fun. I enjoyed it. It was cold and wet, but yeah. I liked seeing the snow. I hadn't yeah. seen it yeah, like I'd, that in a long time. It always irritates me when we don't get a good snow. 
Yeah. It was cold. I burned two and a quarter cords. Is it cords or cord? I don't know what the plural is. Two and a quarter cords of wood, which is like f- basically five pickup truck loads. Five pickup trucks? Yeah. So it was cold. It just the, the coldness did not coincide with the right kind of precipitation. So we just never got much snow. Uh, well, there's some news. Um, yeah, there's some news. Salesforce, and I, I, want, I don't want to start with the negative stuff. Um, well, I, and I could, I could tell a story about me doing some coding, which watch out. Um, or we could talk about, uh, let's Still see. code? I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and after doing it for 30 years now, is that a true statement? That is a true statement. Oh, Hopefully man. I don't completely suck, but sometimes I think I completely suck. I don't know. It's that uh, I, I, I don't know. Having self-esteem or or, mm-hmm. or the imposter syndrome, you know, it's like, man, I just suck. I don't know. But didn't I say the other day? Like sometimes I, I I go back and forth between like feeling like a master of the universe to feeling like yeah, I'm completely worthless and I should just wait tables somewhere. Yeah, I have those up and downs. I'll, I'll do something really cool that or that that I at least think is really cool at the time, and I'm celebrating because I overcame some some kind of technical challenge and it all worked or I had to modify something that I built and I architected it in a way that it was easy for me to do that. I really get excited about that. I feel like I don't remember, I don't remember who said this, but um, it was somewhere, somewhere along my career that like, if you have to modify something and it's easy, then you did your job right the first time. True. You know, although that you got to watch out because that same mentality can lead you to over architecting. Yep. Right. And yep. so it there's, <laughs> and it's just, I think it's only do, it's only making these, these mistakes over and over and over and in different ways, hopefully in different ways. You don't want to make the same mistake in the same way, but right. you, you know, your pendulum swinging back and forth and slowly gravitating towards the center is what you are trying to get at in your, in yep. your, in your career, you know, I guess, or whatever your skill set. Yeah. Yeah. So I've had, you know, a few times where I jumped up out of my chair and did a little dance because I was excited and it worked, compiled and everything worked well. And I've had days where I'm just like, I'm an idiot. I do not understand this. I'm trying to, I'll give you an example. I'm trying to figure out the best way to enable webhooks in Salesforce. And I'm getting hung up on security because I don't like ping tokens. They're just icky to me. What are are ping tokens? It's just like, I mean, with with webhooks, you typically have some kind of token, some kind of system-generated token that you can pass that that acts as your authentication or your handshake between systems. Okay. Um, and like, Salesforce, like if the message doesn't have this token, then don't don't act on it. Right. Basically? Okay. Right. It's just like a, a lot of times it's password. a combination of an API key and a secret. Um, sometimes it's just a token, and yeah. people refer to that as a ping token. I've heard. Hmm. Um, so I just kind of picked it up. I don't know. It might not be official language, but I picked it up from somewhere. I'm just wondering. I've been calling it a ping token. If this just is, it goes along with your like CSS tags and some of these yeah. other just terms hey. you just make up. I just make up words. <laughs> I'm a trendsetter. Uh, we need a, the hey, John. Rappers can do it. If rappers can do it, coders can do it, right? I, I guess so. I'm trying to make things rhyme here yeah. with my ping tokens. We, we need a. Someone needs. Maybe maybe Brett can make us a John secret decoder ring. <laughs> <laughs> you know, out of a, like a, from a, like a view app or something that decodes John's terms. <laughs> yeah, so I've kind of been over engineering the whole webhook technology stuff. I mean, I so let me I, ask you this before you go on further. As far as webhooks, you, you trying to get Salesforce to send out webhooks, no. or another, or you're trying to consume webhooks, trying to consume from Salesforce. Okay, some, some, from another service, it has a callback to Salesforce using a webhook that I need to enable. Okay, so. 
I mean, there's there's the easy way I could do it, which is just stand up a, a public site and have it send a token that I generate mm-hmm. to a site page and consume it. Yep. I was oh, kind of over-engineering it. I set up a, a Roku Express app, and I was going to have that do OAuth into Salesforce so I get an authentication. But, at, but then I was like, well, crap, I'm still dealing with the token that I generated on that side. So now I feel like I over-engineered it. Yeah. It's just a proof of concept. At the same time, I'm trying to have fun with it. I think I would do a, just a, an unauthenticated site. That's, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, why not? Doing, why not? I, I think I wanted to have that authentication to Salesforce. I mean, your to token is, your ping token is that authentication. I, I mean, as long as it's, as long as you're doing HTTPS, right? And so no one can sniff that token along the way. Yeah. I mean, make sure you're requiring well, HTTPS. Yeah, it has to be, HTTP, it has to be HTTPS, but, um, and it has to be a post, right? Can't be a get. Webhooks are usually get. Well, I don't no, know. They usually that. post. Are they post? Yeah. Really? Okay. They should be post. Well, sem- inspect, semantically, I know the Ros- the Rastafarians it. are going to jump all over me on this. Probably so because if, if the webhook is, and I don't know if there, it's not really a spec for webhooks, is there? Um, but you know, the I guess the the semantics are if it's a post, then that means it's, and I don't know, I can't remember what the term is, but it, it can change stuff. Like mm-hmm. gets are supposed to be. Uh, uh, side effect free. Like they're not supposed to really do anything, right? Like they're not allowed to modify anything. Right. So should be. So that makes sense. And posts, you know, I don't know. Gits don't really have a body, do they? Whereas posts have a. You can send a body, right? Is that right? Am I right about yeah. that? Okay. And and a lot of times on a webhook, you might want to send a big a big old body. Yeah. Whereas uh, URLs are limited. But hopefully, with a webhook, you're not sending big old bodies. Hopefully, it's well, you just... might. Yeah, that's true. I mean. Architecturally speaking, it's probably not a great idea just to send unsolicited giant. Uh, yeah, it's kind of bodies. like a. Yeah, it's it's kind of a way to kind of set up some kind of event system. I think Git pioneered webhooks, didn't they? It's just kind of a way to kind of ping an event when something happens. Like, I don't to know. Try if, to integrate with yeah. like, CI well, so tools and things. Right. So people use the crap out of Git webhooks all the time. GitHub, we should say right. GitHub. Um, I don't know if they pioneered. I don't remember the first time I heard of a webhook I, I feel like it was before github but i i don't know that was the first time i heard of it and i thought they were they, they either if, whether or not they pioneered or not i think they popularized it yeah yeah I popularized so. it i can't say that word uh, so that's what i've been trying to do um and i really need to get to some core functionality but i've been kind of f- having fun trying to figure all this stuff out and get up to speed but i still feel really dumb I, i'm like well what's the right way to generate a key is it a guid is it uh is it a salted hash? What What is a good key to have? And all that kind of stuff. And I've just kind of been digging into that. You want to know what a good way to generate a key is? What is? <laughs> there. I just, this is, no one's ever going to guess this. I've got a key for you right here. <laughs> I do charge a fee for generating keys, though. Yeah. Um, You're going to outsource that to your cat? <laughs> yeah, keyboard cat or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Or just that. What's I actually know that it's not keyboard cat, but there's there's this gif you see all the time that the cat is just going nuts on the keyboard. I no, on keyboard the computer cat. keyboard. Oh well, no, keyboard cat plays a musical keyboard. Okay. It's that down 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 down. What happened to our show? I don't it's <laughs> I haven't started recording yet, so that's okay. Good. I'm just kidding. Good. Um all right, well let's let's talk about some stuff here. Um well, you were talking about your webhook. Did you want to conclude that? Bring it bring that to a close? I only brought it up as as a time when I felt stupid. Oh. It sounds simple. 
I just need to, to post a message to this URL. But then I started getting nerdy about it. And I'm mm. now I'm like knee deep in, yeah. in keys and security and and whether that's a Git post hash and then trying to maintain Salesforce security. And then I started getting into message queuing. I'm like, cause it's, it's, it's for an SMS proof of concept. And I'm like, well, I, a lot of messages could come in. I, I should do, have some kind of yeah. queuing technology yeah. here. And then I'm like, oh, I'm going to hook that in. I'm going to use platform events to, to handle that. Mm-hmm. But I still need something that's going to be able to receive all these messages and push that into a platform event. Cause it's essentially a stupid crate records in the system. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going crazy. Yeah, and all I, mean, I want to do is send a text message and receive a text it just message. Depends. I mean, platform events are more enterprisey. You know, you've got a, a log of them, and there's there's you know retries. I mean, if in you know, it's just kind of theoretically reliable delivery and all that stuff. You know, and the question is like, do you need any of that? And also, like on the thing, like when you know, should you use Heroku or whatever? There's, uh, there's a, to me, there's always a a little bit of a bar that you need to reach before you'd go to an outside system because there's always that factor of okay, when I'm gone. Or two years from now, when I'm trying to figure mm-hmm. this out, like, am I, is the person going to, how do they figure out that there's this Heroku service out there? I mean, yeah. and then how do they log into it? Like, did someone lose the authentication to it? Like, you know, it's just like a, this other, uh, yet another system. And if you don't really need it, then, and if it's, I mean, public sites are free with Salesforce, you know, it's like, it's not going to cost you anything. And, and the Heroku, I'm sure, would be free too. It's probably, in the, I'm sure you'll, you're staying in the free tier. Yeah. Right. But, but why complicate it? If it doesn't really get you anything, and you know, so I think you made. Sounds like you made the right decision. Yeah, I mean, it's just a proof of concept, and I'm trying to just learn things and find areas where I can have fun with it. I did learn something, and so I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people out there saying you're dumb. You, you should have known that already. Oh, do we need to have a Stuart Smalley moment, John? Yes, you keep talking about. I'm dumb. I'm I'm just dumb. Let's just face it. But I learned a new trick. Um, so for the longest time, I've been when it comes to web services that I'm connecting to. I create a custom metadata or custom setting object or even a custom object and store the credentials for that service. Um, but I've been trying to use um, named connections more wherever I can, but that's typically an OAuth type authentication setup. Named credentials? Named credentials, right. Okay. So you basically, like, yeah. so you provide for the named credential, you provide your endpoint, then you provide your, you can tell can you, what can type you, of connection. Because I'm not even sure. I, I've used named credentials. I feel like maybe I have, but can you... Just for for those of us who maybe might not know what that is, can you is that possible to explain that? Yeah, so it's a, it's a it's an object in setup. So you can go into setup and you can type in named credential. And what you do is you configure what service you want to connect to by name. And you give it a name, and then you give it whatever information it needs. And whenever you whenever you write your code for your callout, rather than writing out the endpoint, you use this magic syntax. I think it's like I forgot. I think it's like call out, call on the name of your name credential, and then whatever the rest of your endpoint is. And what it does is the system will see that call out and then find that name and then do the authentication for you, put put whatever headers it needs to put in for authentication. And, you know, of course, replace that call out, call a name with your actual host name for your endpoint. Mm. And so you're not having to manage that. You get a way to manage that administratively, all your endpoints and your credentials. Um, and it's just a better way of, of handling that. So I've used it kind of for a lot of different reasons. But in this case, I'm using, I'm connecting with a service that's essentially set up as a webhook. I'm, I make a call to a service, give it a body, and there's this API key and an API secret I have to pass. But you have to pass that information in the body. So I'm thinking, okay, my default is I'm going to go create a custom metadata type. One thing I noticed that was that on the setup for named credential, you can t- you can tell it to use merge fields. You can mm-hmm. say 
And what it does, you could say allow merge fields in the header. So you can create a, a header, you know, maybe you have some bearer token or something and you need, you put that token, configure that, and then mm -hmm. you can use a merge field to, to include that in the header, or you can include it in the body. And I was like, I should do that. <laughs> and so even though the field names are called username password, I just use the username is the API key and the password is the API secret token. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I just use merge fields to include that into the body of my form post, essentially, to that other service, and it worked great. Mm. And so now I have a, an official way of managing it. And so the name credential accepts merge uh, merge. It doesn't care. It's it's okay. a username password field, mm -hmm. and you put in what you want, and it just seemed natural to use that and use merge fields, and now I have a built-in way of managing that. Yeah, and name credentials support uh, OAuth and, right, don't they? Yeah, so they... they and basic auth? They OAuth and I guess what what do you call it named provider named um, I forgot what the term they use for that but basically a named person a named user mm -hmm. so you give a username and password and that's basic auth is how that works? I guess okay yeah. yeah makes sense and that can make it a little bit clearer to administrate over time like if you need to change the password or whatever yeah, yeah. and yeah. you can also hook that up to an auth provider so you can you can configure a named credential and then you could link that up to an auth provider and then you could. <laughs> You can go into layers of, of different ways of setup for this, which I've I've used um, to basically call back into Salesforce. So I've created a connected app, got the API secret, set up the, the auth provider, and then set up the name credential that uses that auth provider. So there's there's a lot of ways of layering it. So yeah. but that was a new little trick I learned, and it was a great way. To, I didn't have to create a setup object anymore. Now it's just a name credential, and I could. It was it was interesting to me. Of course, I spill beer on myself. What do you think of this one, John? Is this the same one you're pouring? No. This one's good. So that is, uh, you're drinking the Tups DDH Series 8. So for some reason, now that we're in, we're in hazy IPA land, New England IPA, somehow, for some reason, people give a crap about which batch it is that you've made. Oh. Now, at least with Tups, every time they do a batch, they change the hops. In fact, if you look, look on this, look on this can. It's got the, like the hop schedule. It's like 40% of XO6297. So that must be an experimental hop. 30% mosaic, 30% lemon drop. So okay. I, mean, I guess that's a reason to, to, to delineate your series, your batches. I guess. Um, but this is the first time they've done this. It's also in series eight, same exact hop, but it's, um, Triple dry hop. Now that brings up the question, and I always like to bring this question up. What does double dry hop mean? Because some brewers use this term, you know, like everyone knows what it means. And some brewers, I've heard complain about this because because mm -hmm. even they don't know what the hell it means. What do you think it means? Do you think it means they use double the amount of hops? Do you think they, instead of just hopping once during fermentation, they might hop twice? Probably the latter. Is what I would so say. So it, it's hopped twice. Yeah. It, so it could be the same amount total in hops. They just split it up over two different applications. That's what I would think. Okay. Right? Wouldn't. So I heard a brewer the other day, a, you know, a professional brewer say that it's, no, it's the, to them it means double the amount of hops. But in recipes I've seen, that's not what it means. So who the hell knows? Mm. I don't know. Whatever. But everything's like DDH. And then to the point that they, the, literally the name of this beer is DDH. I'm like, first, okay. Okay. <laughs> Not only does the term DDH, is, is it not problematic, but use that for the actual name of your beer. You substituted a name for that? I, I, don't, I don't get it. 
but it's been very successful for them. And it's, I'm guessing, I haven't talked to them, but I'm guessing it's like totally changed their business. I mean, I, I bet they've tripled their revenue since they came out with this one beer. They're in um, McKinney. Yeah, McKinney. They're in that old cotton mill or right next to it in this old building. It's kind of mm. cool. They have a nice space. It's cool. Um, That's good beer. Well, uh, so just from the news, uh, we've got Salesforce will finally be embedding Quip. Oh, I didn't hear that one. So I guess it was still somewhat um, separate, but I saw some screenshots. It looked, it looked pretty good. It's, it's kind of like a separate tab, but it's, it's brought into, so you know how like, let's say you're on an account and this is in Lightning. You might have a tab for like detail and a tab for related. And then you can also make like, I don't ever do this, but like custom tabs like mm-hmm. in there. Just, I don't know. Um, but there's like a, it like there was a tab for Quip in there. And so it's be a component and you just embed it inside your other page. It's kind of what it looked like maybe. And, but then that begs that like, okay, is this, so in that case, I guess that particular document they were working on was for that account. Does that mean that Quip documents are, are there, they have literally like like the old school notes and attachments. They have one parent, unlike new files and notes, which, which are, have those content document links or whatever. They can be linked. It's like a mini to mini, you know, you can, you can associate one document with, Mm -hmm. All kinds of different records. I would have to to look to be sure, but i i would I would venture to say it's using files because Quip is still technically an outside system. Not and with files, you can at least reference files by URL. So I, I feel like we've blurred the lines on what's internal, what's external nowadays. Especially considering, if you consider the fact that from from what I've had, some people have told me that Salesforce has been. I'm sure it's still at least Sales Cloud primarily kind of a monolith, but they've been splitting a lot of these these things up. Yeah. And when you look at, um, I mean, it's like, is their index server server a separate system? Is there is the messaging the like the platform events? That's probably a. I mean, well, every, we're in the land of microservices now, John. Everything's a, yeah, everything's external. I was going to say. I mean, at one point in time, we probably had a good idea of how things were shaken out, but I think they've diversified their backend architecture and hardware so much so that I don't think any of us could even guess at it anymore. I mean, it used to be you could say, oh, they run on Oracle, they run on Java. But how much of it is still an Oracle? How much of it isn't? How much of it is still jo- traditional, just Java running? And how much of it is, is something else? Yeah. But I, I guess my point is, uh, regardless, if, if they integrate it well, if it works well, and the experience is good, who gives a crap whether it's part of the Salesforce monolith or whether it's yeah, and there's you know, demand a whole for, separate for that thing. type of document collaboration. So, I mean, I, I see it working out. Have you used Quip? I have. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't made it part of my daily routine. I still like Google. I still don't get. I like they, Office three sixty five, but everyone uses Google, so I'm, I do Google all the time. Yeah, I don't, I'm the other way around. I use Google, but I feel like everyone's always want me to use Office three sixty five, which I'm fine with either. But now we have this third thing, Quip, and I, I know you know Salesforce owns it, so people are going to automatically give more credibility to it. Just like I don't know, um, all these things. Well, that, it's one less thing to officially quote unquote integrate. I mean, it's it would be part of the system. You just although Salesforce has already integrated Google Docs and all these things, just you know, official and well maintained integrations with these things. Yeah, but there is in some enterprise organizations, well, a lot of enterprise organizations, there isn't a barrier to entry for integrating systems or even approving a system for use. And a lot of times, that's what gets in the way. Like we're a Microsoft shop, so you have to use Office three sixty five. No one touch Google Sheets or whatever. Yep. but they've approved Salesforce, and because it's a quote-unquote Salesforce product, it just kind of gets lumped in. Like, there's no approval process for it. Yep. 
So, yeah, it looked good. Um, so be on the lookout for that. I don't know when that actually... Probably geared more towards sales at this point. Maybe not service uh, or operational. I, I, yeah. I'm not... That, that may not be fair. Well, I'm saying you could use it for that, but I think the sales pitch will be use it as a sales collaboration tool, that kind of thing. Quip appears as a tab in sales or service cloud interface. Their employees can collaborate on documents and maintain all their information in a single place without switching between multiple applications or losing context. And increase an important goal for collaboration tools, including Slack. I don't know why they brought Slack into that. Um, yeah, I don't know when it's available, but yeah. Yeah, I had my first um, a client for the first time require some kind of live chatting system like Slack or in this case... For the project? No, for their service reps. So they, they have a lot oh. of collaboration. They wanted to use something for live chat. Like Chatter was still in play for certain certain aspects of their business, but they really like the real-time collaboration because their team is so distributed that um, it was like the first time I had like a real requirement saying, we have to have this. Mm. And Skype was their kind of approved thing. And I learned that there's a Skype integration built into Salesforce. So I got to research that some more, but that was oh, the first time I saw that. Talk like about. you just go into setup and type in Skype and there's a feature you just say enable Skype and I'm like okay before I turn that on let me figure out what that does well you know when I think of Skype to you know, talk about something that's just fallen from glory it just I don't know if you've used it it's just oh my god that's you know there's a lot about what I like about Microsoft over the past 10 5 or 10 years but Skype is not one of them mm. it's not a success story <laughs> it's 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 funny and then you know they were it was in the news because it's it's they've transitioned it to this like it's like all, it's almost, I don't know if it is an electron app, but it feels like an electron app. It's like all, I think it is actually, it's like all web technology. I thought it always was. No, no, it used to be just, you know, native, native UI stuff. Hmm. And it's kind of funny, like every, every browser is going to Chromium and it seems like every, oh God, every yep, universal desktop app is going. Everyone uh, drink. Electron. John just hit his microphone. <laughs> oh, is that what it is? It's drinking again? Oh, it's that dangerous. reminds me. Hold on. Oh gosh. What is this? Wait, be careful, John. Oh, you're going nuts. John's going nuts, and he's got this beer glass sitting on my off my studio carpet here. Oh, look at this. Oh, these are cool. Of course, you ordered, what, like 10 of them or something, or 100? How many did you I order? only ordered 10 as a sample to see if they were good. I'll order more, but... Those are probably like a dollar a piece, probably. if not more. Probably. I'm sure they were more. That'd only be 10 bucks. I'm sure getting 10 of these is... <laughs> yeah, the thing with these things like this, so I'm holding in my hand, um, actually, like normal... Beer, like bar yeah, coasters. Just switch it up, man. official. This is awesome. Now we need to order. This is what we need. We need to order like a thousand of these. And these are those types of things that you really like when when I don't know who who pays. I mean, like you'll see liquor companies and mm -hmm. beer companies that, that have these, and they they'll order you know ten or a hundred thousand at a time. That that's how you get them cheap. Yeah. Not, not that we need that many, but a thousand would <laughs> no, be reasonable. Just, every time we go to a the thousand. growler, we'll just leave a few. leave some. We need to. You know, the only thing we, we need to. We probably. Did you say what they were? They're coasters. Yeah, did I say, no, I say that? Coasters. Say that. Bar. I thought I said bar coasters. Oh, maybe I didn't. Did. This is cool, man. Look how look how ratty. Look how long I've had this. Yeah. How long have we had these in here? Since we opened the office. This is one of those just disposable cardboard. Well, that's what that is. Yeah. I know. I'm just saying, but you're supposed to throw it away after like one use. I don't have had it for <laughs> three, four years. Yeah, well, no, these are awesome. We've got, got an official place to yeah. rest our, our yeah. beers. And I guess you could get them. Would you want them double-sided? If you... Where to order? I don't know if you. I mean, I guess it wouldn't have to be, huh? That's probably. I guess I could put our like our actual information on it. That might be nice. That's because I was gonna say there's no, there's no URL or anything on here. And Which I, we did intentionally. Or, and I, I know, do that I know. Intentionally, and it, and it doesn't say podcast or there's no really no way to know what this is. Yeah. 
And if you Google good dicer, I don't even know what you get. What do you get? I mean, probably not us. I've never even tried that. Good day, sir. Of course, I have to go in as. Uh... Oh, we we actually on we're on, on the, the first, first page. page. We're on nice. the first page. Yeah, we're at the bottom of the first page, but <laughs> it's not bad. Because <laughs> like half of the page is YouTube videos of of uh, Willy Wonka. Yeah, but that's cool. What was I saying? What are we talking about? Quip? Now yeah, we're done Quip. with Quip. Is what it is. Yeah, that's, there's just the resistance to quit being just yet an, yet another th- way to do documents when Google is already really entrenched in that and Microsoft is really is already really entrenched. I mean, Quick could be better than both, and I'm not sure I care hmm. because like Office is good enough and Google Docs is good enough. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna um, you know author your your and, and format your uh, you know 400 page book or something okay yeah use microsoft word like the legit thing but otherwise that google google docs is just fine for like 99 percent of the collaborative document stuff that you got to do on a day daily basis I, I still think it has its foot in the door i mean a just being a salesforce product and you can just you know default it in and b yeah. there, there is still some companies out there that are concerned about google and having their information on their servers and things like that so when you say you oh, have sure. yep. salesforce and it's it, you've approved that you've vetted it and this is just part of Salesforce. It yep. makes it easier. That's true. It's it, if they don't already have something, yes, yeah. But that's a rare thing. Hey, I just thought of something random. But I, let me ask you this: You've worked for several. You've worked for yourself. You worked for a couple of different consulting companies. Worked you work for a consulting company now. You work for me. <laughs> I'm sure that was your most fondest of ever employment experiences. <laughs> You're a good boss. Uh, I'm a I'm just a horrible boss, but. That's the story for a different day. Hey, the checks cleared. Oh, the checks did clear. <laughs> the checks did clear. Uh, <laughs> that's the first part of being a good boss. <laughs> it is <laughs> rule number one. So, um, in in a modern setting for like these, and I'm I'm asking for a friend. Okay, <laughs> like for these kind of small to medium, uh, like you know, consulting companies where. There may be an office, but no one goes in. Everyone's like working from home and they're on laptops and everyone has Slack and Salesforce and Quip and, you know, all these, like, this is how we work. You know, we're flying all over the place and doing mm-hmm. projects and whatever. Um, when you started a new company, let's say they're like, well, you already have a nice computer you like. Do we give you a computer? A, a company computer? Do we, do we make you use a comp- company computer? So... I want to, I'm just curious, like what you prefer, and then also make maybe what do you think is just makes the most sense for business? Yeah, I, and I've been in that that exact situation. I prefer using my own because I like buying big hardware. Like this laptop right here, this uh, MacBook Pro 15 inch screen is bigger than the one I got. Okay. However, I do think that everyone does need to be on a level playing field. Meaning, if we're going to use Macs, everyone use Macs. If we're going to use mm. Windows, everyone use Windows. Because mm. the collaboration and the documents and even just being able to help or even other tools that are involved, like we need to use this tool, it makes it harder to kind of keep in sync and troubleshoot to make sure we're all doing the same thing. Okay. That's interesting. Th- that, like, that, I mean, that, there might be an app that I'm using and I need you to use as well. And for some reason, it's different on Windows than it is on Mac. And it's now collaboration. Just, there's not a lot of examples of that nowadays, though. Because most of the document stuff, again, we're doing something in the cloud. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I could, I've got Office on my Mac, right? Um, that seems to work fine interoperability-wise with Windows. I haven't, I haven't had an issue. Yeah. Um, 
you know, if you're, if you're using the Adobe stuff, those file formats seem to be, you know, very good at being cross platform. Um, I do, I, the, the one thing I can think of that I still like to use, that's always a sticking point with people who aren't on Mac is I use OmniGraffle for my diagrams because it's so good. It's so good. You need to get off that teat and get onto a lucid chart. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, and, and, and for collaborative, you know, lucid and yeah. some of these, uh, we use some other one. I can't even think of what it's called now. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're, they're similar and they're okay. You can do basic diagrams, but no, you can do more than basic. Lucent's, oh, you, Lucent's gotten a lot better. I know you just, you're not it's even got a connector for Salesforce. You can download the full year. No, that's, that's great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so dismissive, but no, but something like OmniGraffle, like, I mean, they've been, first of all, they're really good developers and they've been honing that application for like 20 I, years I now. Like it, it's just so well done. I and just downplay it because I don't good at pay it, for it. And B, if you're good at it, it's like you can, you're going to be so much more productive than someone that's doing a bunch of clicky draggy in, in Lucid or one of these other things. But I, I, I almost always lose that argument. I mean, we, we use, it's not Lucid now. We, we, we use something else and it's web-based and it integrates with Google Drive and, and, it, and it's fine for 90% of diagrams, right? Yeah, and it's fine. One thing that, Lucid doesn't support that some other tools and maybe OmniGraffle does as well is that you can do text to graphics. So you can type in like your, you can outline out your flow charting and it'll actually diagram it out. So you would just kind of create a tree of information okay. and certain, certain tags or something, the way you write it will, will do that. And I, I want to experience that because that's the way I take notes. And so I'd love for my notes to instantly become a graphic. So I'm looking for that. Yeah. Um, and oh, I was going to say, Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say OmniGraffle does have a, it can import and export Visio. I'm just not, I don't think it is great though. Yeah. So to, to pop the stack back on what you were saying, um, the other thing I've seen is that companies will just at least set a baseline requirement saying, okay, you can provide your own machine, but it has to meet this much. It has to have this certain spec. Um, some companies will even cover a certain portion. Like they'll say, we'll cover you for a machine up to a thousand dollars. And here's the minimum spec requirement. And then anything else is is yours. Yeah. Right. And the reason I ask is because I've you know I've got this friend who is working in a company that they're you know they've been hiring some some new employees and and we've kind of like started over with policies and all this stuff. So we're trying to figure out you know what's what's the best kind of policy going forward or what should we do? Oh, it is Draw.io. Yeah, Jody is right. I think we use Draw.io. Not as good as Lucidchart. But mm. it's probably freer and we're probably cheap or something. I don't know. Oh, so Jody says that it does do that text to charting now. That's awesome. I'll have to check that out. Um, but, you know, there's, there's all these pros and cons, right? So if you use your own, if you're like, no, I'll use my own computer. That, that's cool. Like you've already spent a bunch of money on a computer. Why just give you another one? Because now you have two computers. It's like the people walk around with two phones, like their work phone and their, yeah. um, I see that. I'm like, that sucks. Some people have three or four. I know. It's ridiculous. And, like, and so I prefer this one. I don't want two computers. Um, but you're inevitably now you're going to be doing like you're per, you're mixing all your personal and your business stuff on, on one machine. Yeah. And I, I actively tried to avoid doing that, but I was having to carry two computers around. So like when I come here and I'm focused on this, I'm kind of, I'm here, but I'm still working until it's time to record. Then I switch gears and now I have two computers and I did it for a while and now I'm starting to merge and at least make things available on both, at least like my communication tools, like my Slack channels and my email, so I can at least stay in touch and not be completely out of pocket. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, I still primarily work on that one. And this one's mainly just a backup in case I need that. Right. And so we have a policy that it's like, basically don't keep fi uh, in a client or work stuff on whether it's a company provided computer or whether it's your own. 
um, use, you know, use the tools that we have for this stuff, like Google Drive or Salesforce or whatever it is. But the reality is, is like, I mean, I can look at my downloads folder right now, and it's probably got, it's probably, a lo- I guarantee it's loaded. It's loaded with client stuff. And I have to go on there every once in a while and just like clear crap out. That's an issue. And, and the things, or that, I gotta, the you things know, I, that you browse. I, I, got a, I got a Postgres instance that just starts up every time my computer starts up. And I've got client databases in there that I've, when I've you know, done data migrations or worked on things or whatever. So I've got a, and that's not, it's not like that's just in my downloads folder I can just delete. No, that's like a, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it, it, it starts to get intertwined and it's not super simple. And the question is like, what if I quit tomorrow or I get fired? Like now that, now I need to get, I need to extricate all this business stuff off of my laptop. And the mm-hmm. problem is, it's not. It's not clear on how to do that. Well, you because I could. Up, I could. I could. Your I could think I'm finished, and then you you completely reload your OS. But then I. But then I forget <laughs> that I had. Um. You know, I, I forgot about my Postgres databases, and I find them six months later. Oh crap! I still have those. You know what I mean? Like, that that kind have, of stuff. Yeah, those in a backup somewhere. So. No, I want to get rid of them though. Oh, They're, oh, that's yeah. also saying like I don't I work for this saying. company anymore. I need to get rid of all the all the all that company stuff. Right. And the reality is, it's not going to happen. You're always going to have. You're going to have resi- residue. Yeah, there's going to be residues. And so that's just, and that's the problem of if you're using your your own computer, whereas if if I provided you with a computer, you could just send the computer back to me. I can get the computer back from you. And that's, that's solved. Well, I definitely think people should have a personal computer and a work computer and they should keep them separate. Um, I have, this goes right totally against what you just said. I know, but I'm, I'm about to give some examples because not, it's not just you quit and you leave and you're trying to clear out the system or, or make sure that all your company IP is returned to you. There's also the aspect of when you're, I've seen people, clients, colleagues who they're doing a screen share and they've got personal stuff popping up on the screen or their tab and their bookmarks has a lot of personal stuff, maybe links to a lot of political websites and things. And I'm like, I don't think that should be on the screen right now. I know. I, 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 um, <laughs> I'm, do, I'm doing screen share. Or, or like- someone accidentally... <laughs> Showing something they shouldn't be yeah. showing that they were oh, yeah. kind of looking at the exactly. night before. It's like, uh. <laughs> oh, that's and Chrome is way too good about. It. You start typing, it's like it's bringing up all this. I mean, first of all, not only is it bringing up stuff that you've searched for before in the in exactly. the in the bar, but it's I'm also Google knows everything about me and what my interests are. So it's even if it's something I've never searched for before, it's fill it's completing and filling stuff in with stuff it thinks that I want. Mm-hmm. What's wrong? My leg cramped. Man, this is a crummy. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, this is so. And here, so here, the problem we face is that, or my friend faces, is that um, we don't want a bunch of assets out there. It's like more crap. We have to track. You got to track them as as mm-hmm. um, as assets. You got to depreciate. You got to make sure your accountant knows about them and depreciate them. All that kind of crap. Yeah. Um, and and we feel like a lot of people just want to use their own computer. So what what we think we're going to do is, um, you just you get basically like I think it's like a fifteen hundred dollar allowance, a, a home office allowance every, every year, and you use it however you want. Or you can not use it. You can just go party on it. But it's your responsibility to have a good computer, a place to work, good internet, all mm-hmm. that stuff. I was like, I kind of like that. That's pretty badass. That's a, you know, that's, that's. And would you issue that every two years, three years? How would you do that? It's, you get that every year. Every year. It's a yearly. Yeah. It's a yearly thing. Hmm. I wouldn't mind that. It wouldn't cover my computer needs, but I wouldn't mind that. <laughs> uh Oh, here we go. Oh, nice. Now I could 
Now I get to share a beer with Jeremy's cooties because he's sucking <laughs> on the bottle. <laughs> nope. Because it's bad. It's bad? Mm-hmm. That's why it's doing this. It's a gusher, folks. Oh. <laughs> so you have to keep drinking the bad beer until... Mm-hmm. It's sour. Oh. It's not supposed to be. Oh, sorry. So this is part of our ongoing series of drinking Jeremy's old beers that he hasn't been able to drink. Look at this. Stick your finger in it. Maybe the salt will kill the foaming. What are you calling me, salty? Well, everyone's fingers are salty, aren't they? Mine are. What have you been like sticking them up your nose or something? No, know. it's just part of your natural body. You All right. Well, let's try to get this. Release oils and salts and water. and. I knew this one was going to be bad. You were going to give it to me anyways. What can I do with it? Do we have a cup in here? We have. We- this is not going to stop. Don't do we? Not really. Almost got a cup. I guess I could pour some more of those cans. Anyway, yeah, I was gonna say. Um, so I, I, I have. I want to do a segment called Jeremy did some coding. <laughs> is that okay? I'm, yeah, no. I'm, I want to hear this. How much of a fail is this going to be? Big fail. <laughs> they went back in. There you go. That should do it. It's still just still rising though. Well, just keep an eye on it. <clears throat> All right, so I was doing some, what was I doing? Kind of some integration, but some just native and Salesforce integration stuff, I guess. Okay, like web services. Yeah, yeah, a lot of web services. And I, um, what was I? I think, oh, I, I think I was using cubables again. I just I love these cubables. And, and some of them, um, so I'm, I'm, creating, I'm creating all this test coverage, testing these things. Everything's going fine. Got two or three different cubables that can just asynchronously send stuff off, get stuff, whatever. And um, at runtime, they work just fine. Tests are working just fine. And I get to one where the test is failing. Mm-hmm. And it's giving me the, you know, you have, it's a call-out exception. You have uncommitted work pending. Yeah. I was like, ah, oh, crap, I must have, like, created a record, then did a web service call-out, then, you know, did some more DML or something. But I... But I was like, oh no, I'm looking at I'm looking at the code and going, huh? I'm I'm not. I'm I'm simply doing one call. No DML. One call. But what's triggering the call? Is it a trick? Is it a trigger or is it a button? Is it a- it's a button. It's actually a button. And it's also a it's a also a, ske- a scheduled uh, scheduled thing. Hmm. So there's no DML. And I actually so I it's not changing. I also looked it? at the also looked at the not in this case. Okay. I also looked at the logs. To make sure there was no, and there was in the trend in this execution context, transaction, whatever. I guess in the transaction, I don't know, whatever it is. There, there was no DML before the callout. There's a callout, and then there's DML after that. And I'll, I spent lots of time, and turns out, and this is one of those things because I've I've hit this before, where Salesforce has bugs around this. Mm-hmm. And if you actually go searching this for this area, you'll see throughout history all the different known issues and everything. This is a recurring problem that Salesforce has. In which they are, it's a type one or a type two error, but they're basically you're not doing anything wrong, but they think you're doing something wrong. Yeah. And in this case, what what it was was on the it's went okay. It I in my I have a test uh you know the at test setup, so I got a test setup method. Mm -hmm. I'm creating something a record, and then and then the test runs. Right. 
that in the it's setup the object that you're creating in setup isn't it no i had that issue it's not the object and when i create this object there is a workflow task creation on this object and by the just the existence of that workflow task it it, it triggers a a this i think it's a bug in salesforce mm. that thinks that even though once my in my actual test yeah yeah in the test setup there's dml but that's in a separate that's a safe place that's a safe space it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a safe space. <laughs> um, and all I had to do was when I'm creating that record in the test setup method, I just had to I have to I have to turn the in production too. I had to turn the workflow task off. Yeah. And that fixed it. But yeah, there's all these bugs or uh, different things like maybe what if an email is involved or whatever, it it tricks Salesforce's, you know, because Salesforce has to detect that that you've got because again, they don't want they don't want an open transaction. Ha- they don't want to call it happening in an open trans in an open database transaction, right. and so they've got to probably do all kinds of stuff to try to detect whether you're in a transaction. I guess that's complicated. And they've just there's been all these times when they've gotten it wrong, <laughs> and it's been fixed. You know, fixed in winter seventeen, fixed in spring eighteen, fixed in whatever. But this one is still there. Yeah. And so I just disabled that. Right. So anyway, you know, I spent you know I don't know how long I spent no, I, trying to figure this out. I feel your pain, and that's like I'm like this is this is Salesforce. This is what I think I want to think of Salesforce development. This kind of pain. And also to make the pain worse, which is kind of why I'm in a bad mood about all this, is I spent I I was on a real push to get this project done. I worked Saturday, Sunday, and Monday all day, all three days, and the whole time I'm getting thirty second to two minute save times for the simplest Apex class. Mm-hmm. Yep. And like this is this is the problem with the Salesforce D- DX. The developer well, experience. It, it, it's oh, it's almost always that slow, but when you're under a time crunch, that's when you really feel it. That's when the stress comes out. Yes, it does. And then I start like canceling. If I'm, if I'm I, casually coding and casually casually saving, I'm like, all right, I click save. Let me grab it. Let me take a sip of my coffee. And but how often are we just casual? I mean, you're, you're. I mean, we're always under deadline, man. You know, I always have too much work to do. Basically, you know, I, I, I'm never just like, oh, yeah, I've got plenty of time. I never have plenty of time. You know, I need my tools to work well for me. No, I know. I, I get that. I just, I'm just saying that there are times when I'm just coding, doing a proof of concept, or just messing around trying to understand some new part of the system. And I don't really think about how long something's taken to save because I don't, I'm not under the crunch. But you're right. Most of the time when I am under that crunch and, most, and when I am trying to get something delivered or we've done a release and I've, there's some new bug because production wasn't in sync with our sandbox and I got to figure it out how to fix this. I'm really under the crunch trying to fix this and it's already been and I know every everything I do is going to take an hour because not only does it take an you know a couple of minutes to save my code and compile my code uh the deployment takes forever. Yeah. <laughs> so I got to wait and let it deploy and figure that out. The the odd thing was tests were running fast. Really? Yeah, tests were running just fine. I just can't get anything to save. <laughs> It's just I don't know. It's like, and I I I really think that they should have something that if a, and I don't think I'm being I don't think my my requirements are too high here. Did you try this? Is this good? Yeah, it's good. Okay. It probably is worried. Jeremy had another. Yeah, exactly. There's always backups. By the way, yeah, we're never we're never wanting for alcohol around here. (laughs) Oh, that is. Um, So this is Soko Basa. I think this is charred. No, Soka Mesa Mocha. Mocha style. Yeah, I get that mocha. It's so it's got cinnamon. It's this is all like it's like a Mexican chocolate, basically, is what this is. <laughs> Speaking of when I was in Michigan and I had we're we're looking for coffee shops. We went to this uh Mayan coffee 
place, some hipster place. <laughs> and I got this Mayan coffee thing and I'm sitting there trying to describe what it tastes like. And I'm like, oh, it's kind of, it's kind of like a Mexican hot chocolate. It's got cinnamon and a little spice and this and that. I go, some damn Mexican hot yeah, chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, no one would like the way Mayans drank their chocolate, which I did drink in. Yeah. Um, because it was not sweetened. And, yeah, it was not sweetened. Sugar, it was all and you, anyone who's had, you know, like, have you ever eaten like some baking chocolate, thinking it was like, oh, you found it, you just looked at, you found a chocolate bar in the pantry, and you bite into it, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, what is this? It's like it tastes like just bitter wax or something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to claim to enjoy it, but I have had. I have. I mean, I do like 80, 90. Yeah, every so 90's often. 90's pushing it for me. I do like 80. Yeah, 90 is pushing it, but I mean, I'll I'll eat it because yeah. I like chocolate, but. <laughs> How do you like your ground beef? Uh, 80, 90? What do you like? 70? 70. <laughs> we, we settle on 80. In it fact, depends on what I'm making. It just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you don't need that extra. It's like you're going to put a bunch of cheese on it. You don't need the 80. You can, you can go up to 80 or oh, yeah, something. Yeah, I guess so. 80, 80 is a good compromise. 70, yeah. 70 can be delicious. Uh, it can be a little excessive sometimes, though. Yeah. But we, yeah, we, the other day we bought 90 because we were at Costco and their ground beef. They have really good quality ground beef, but it's just, it's 90, 10. I'm like, yeah. And it was just, yeah, it was we had dry. it. We had some the other day and it was just, it was dry. Yeah. Like, yeah, not worth it. I'd rather just like, I don't know, not eat. I'd rather have like chicken at that point. Like, give me something lean because <laughs> the calories that are here aren't worth it. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, it's going back to what I was going to say. I feel like Salesforce should have something because I, I know they monitor all these things. This is all monitored. They've got dashboards for all these, there's alerts for all these things. And so, how it went, and I haven't checked it. This, is, this was a week ago. Um, how it went that many days of, of that poor performance, it's just unacceptable. I mean, that was unacceptable bad performance for that long of a time. Right, but they're um, only affecting if, you. Exactly. Because I'm, a, well, I'm just, I'm just a developer. A developer. And, th this like goes, and this goes to show you, no, this goes to show you where Salesforce, and that's why they, you know, they want to get rid of developers. I mean, everything's clickety-clackety, or no, I'm sorry, pony-clicky. And, uh, you know, uh, but the point of drag and drop all the things. The and and is code too, though. But those are always fast. Like John, I, I can go I can go into Salesforce in in the UI and edit an Apex class and hit save and it saves immediately. Immediately. Why is that? Can you explain that to me? It's in the cloud. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. We need we need we need an official IDE in the cloud for Salesforce. Actually, I think that's what they're building right now. I think they're It building, just happens automatically. It's from the cloud. <laughs> I, I think they're building a replacement for um the dev console that'll be better. I saw that, and they, they you know, the dev console, I've, I've come around a little bit. I mean, I, I do have some serious PTSD about around the dev console, but it's it can be useful for, for some stuff, and they've, and and Chuck opened my eyes the other day to some stuff that it does, I didn't realize, I'm like, okay, yeah, I mean, there, there's there's useful stuff here, but, and they, I saw, I don't know who was, maybe it's the PM for the dev console, but they're like, yeah, it's just, you know, we built it on, and he didn't say, but it was, you know, it's built on like EXTJS yeah. from forever ago. And it's just, it's a legacy and we want to redo it, but that's, that's a gigantic At least project. it wasn't Flash. <laughs> that's true. EXTJS well, yeah. is still supported. You're right. They could have picked, they could have picked Flash. Um, the original or the only um, desktop version of Chatter. Do you remember that? That was Flash or Flex or Flash or whatever yeah, was, it was. Yeah, Flex. That didn't last all that long. It lasted a few years, but that was... Hey, we built some stuff on Flex. That was a doomed product from the beginning. Was, was yeah. Flex was, Flex was pretty cool, especially for its time. Yeah. I manipulated those chart components. So I was pretty proud of that. Yeah. I mean, you could, you could dig down and yeah. do stuff. Anyway, I'm still trying to get to my point, which is 
I think for when they should set their limits at, if it, and I think this is this is not unreasonable at all. And I feel like it should actually, in, on average, should be much lower than this. But if it takes longer than two seconds, two thousand milliseconds, okay, mm-hmm. to save a basic Apex class or maybe a few of them, I don't, I'm not talking about saving like thousands of you know doing a deployment where you're doing thousands of classes, but like the t- normal like. I'm editing one to five classes at a time. If that takes longer than two seconds to save, we've got something wrong here. Because most developers, and maybe I'm wrong about this, projecting myself, but you know, it goes past five seconds. It's really frustrating. And once you get to ten seconds, I mean, I've I flipped over to you know news or Twitter or something, and I'm just it's just so freaking distracting. Yeah, it's really distracting. But and to be fair, it's it's a it's not just a save operation. It's just not. It's not writing bits no, it's a, to a it's drive. A com- it's, it's a compilation. A yeah, so it's I, a save and a compile operation. And whatever they're doing, because it's a cloud metadata driven, blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. I, whatever they're doing, I don't know what they're doing. I mean, I know how compilers work, and I know how you know. I know they got to lex it, and they got to build their abstract syntax tree, and they got to you know do their linking. And I you know I, I understand all these things, and a lot of these they're just using underlying tools, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I know because they're a multi-tenant. That they there's probably other stuff they got to do, and they got to run through their probably their own security verifier and bytecode analyzer and verifier and all this stuff. I I know I know there's stuff that's got to be done, but when Salesforce is running well and certain in certain orgs, I'm not saving. It's it's less than a second. It's done. So I know it's possible, and I can save. T- I can open up ten files and do a save all, and it and Illuminate Cloud sends one tooling thing with all of those at once, and it's less than a second. So I know it can be done. It's just it's just managing. I don't know what it is. I mean, I don't want to speculate, but it seems like it's like just managing the performance of these pods. Because you go from one pod to another, and it's mm-hmm. night and day difference. You got one that's 45 seconds, another one that's less than a second for the same thing. Yeah. That's ridiculous. And they can do a better job of that and should do a better job of that. And if, if it's, and again, I think if it's over two seconds, that's hitting managers' dashboards and they, with big red stuff, and it's all hands on, you, fi- you figure out what's going on. That's got to be a title, Big Red Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can add it. I mean, I'm the I'm in here by myself in this title thread. But I mean, I think that's I think that just goes so far for Salesforce to really imp- to make the developer experience what I know they want it to be. You can't you can't have a good developer experience. So here's my question: If, if you well, if you're if you're doing th- if if that's what it's like, yeah. Do Do you think having a kind of web-based IDE would solve a lot of that problems? I mean, you, you said to yourself, you can go into Salesforce, save a class, and for some reason, it's I don't just think that's that it. much faster. I think what happens is when you save it in, <clears throat> through the UI, I think it just goes right to the top of the, right to the, top of the queue. Mm. Whereas if it's coming through the tooling API, or heaven forbid, the, uh, the metadata API, it's getting queued, and there's a queuing algorithm, and, and I don't know, I, I guess... But you can't, you can only do that in a sandbox environment. You can't right, go into production and, and edit it and save it, right, so it's... Right. And I'm, not, I'm not saying production. I'm, I'm just yeah. saying it's it's probably low risk for them to pop that up to the, to the top of the queue yeah. versus tooling, but... Again, I know that a lot of people there care about this, and so... I care. If, if any of them are listening, I just I just think this is important. I think this, anybody this who will, writes code cares. I do too. I, I, but it's also getting really confusing because we're on this this line where we're walking one side on the metadata and tooling API, the other side on on DX, and no one knows which one to pick and which one to focus on. I'm still like when clients ask me, I'm still saying eh, stick to the tooling API. DX is great; it's there. Hmm. Get it on your horizon, but. I don't know enough about it to recommend it to yeah, you. That's fine. It's not been a focus of mine. 
uh, it hasn't been a focus for a lot of people, I don't think. Yeah, because it's... I mean, I think there's, there's, there's definitely a 1% crowd of developers out there that are really focused on it, and they're probably mostly ISVs. Um, Boom, you just nailed it. So I'm, I'm kind of kind of been thrust into DX because of managed packages and namespaces and stuff. Mm -hmm. One thing that DX lets you, you can do because of DX, I guess it's because of DX, I'm not sure. But, um, and it solves the problem of, like, if you have a managed package with a namespace, um, all the code in the namespace has, gets, like, prefixed. And, mm -hmm. and there's, there's, there are just areas where, even though Salesforce auto-prefixes, like Apex and VisualForce, there's a lot of areas where you actually have to, you have to manually prefix yourself. And if you have, like, let's say you have, let's say you and I are working together on this. I got my sandbox, you've got your sandbox. Well, neither of us can pick the, that same namespace that, that the official dev packaging org has. Mm -hmm. So we have to pick up, we have to pick different namespaces. Right. And then you have to have something, and I've seen several ISVs do this now, and I'm just like, oh, there's surely there's a better way. And there is nowadays. But they're still doing this thing where, you know, they've got scripts that do like a mass replace of, so before you actually can push anything to Salesforce, you gotta do the script that mass replaces like a placeholder for all the, everywhere in code and metadata and SQL queries and all this stuff, where, and, and especially in Enlightening, where you're referencing the namespace, you'll replace it all with your, de your dev org's names, namespace, and then, you can, and then you can actually push that to your developer org. I mean, oh, I get it, but that still seems wrong. Why would I have my own namespace and you have your own namespace and we all compile to a different namespace? Why well, wouldn't we just have, bare bones code that compile that gets uploaded to an org that has a namespace. I guess you could have no namespace because you could do because all these little placeholders in the code for the, where a namespace goes. Oh, you could be pulling code down to your environment and you need to get rid of the namespace. Or you need to you either need to get rid of it or you need to change it to what the namespace is for your org, your dev your dev org or whatever your yeah, I guess it'd be a dev org that you're working in. Oh, it just seems like but what DX so here's how DX solves this. It lets you create a bunch of different scratch orgs that all have your main your your official namespace. So you everyone can still do that with your with your hub account, right? You can still create a bunch of dev sandboxes that all have the same. So namespace. these are not sandboxes; they're dev orgs. Because you do you do um, package development in a dev org. Yeah, but I thought one of the things you got as a tool for being an ISV was you had a console or some kind of administration tool that lets you create dev environments based on that. So there, there's a couple based of things. On that there's, there's, in, there's the environment hub, which I think anyone can have, right? Any, any paid Salesforce, you know, or can have an environment hub. Okay. Which lets you create sandboxes um, <clears throat> and all kinds of stuff. And then there's the developer hub, mm -hmm. which is really more of a DX thing. And I thought the problem that DX solved was, Dev was, Hub, what it was the ability to kind of create an environment, enable features and, and licensing and all that kind of stuff in an automated way so that you have a chance of deploying something that'll work across yes. the board. Yeah, so there's, there's a lot more granularity on, on, scratch, on the Scratch orgs with, with DX because you can specify like exactly the features you want enabled, disabled, license right. counts, or whatever, all that kind of stuff. You can also say, I want it to have the Jeremy Ross prefix. I want that package prefix. And... and or the the let's call it the JRJD, the Jeremy Ross John Santiago prefix. Right? Like we can both have a scratch org that's JRGD for the namespace. That was not possible before. So that fixes this whole problem of how do we replace all these symbols all throughout the code with whatever we're developing on at the time. Yeah, I get it. Because there's certain things like looking up a record type or things like that where you have to know the namespace of what you're requesting. There are just like instances. You can't just query yeah. a namespace and say, oh, give me the opportunity 
I don't know, master record type. Yeah. There, there's a, a namespace associated to it. With For the it. most part, like in Visual Force and, and Apex, um, it's, it does auto prefixing for you, but uh, um, you know, non-trivial packages have dynamic sockle. Yeah, I mean, there's um, a lot of stuff in Lightning. It just seems like you don't get that auto prefixing, like in the JavaScript in different areas. There's there's not that kind of auto prefixing that happens. I say auto prefixing. I feel like that's a CSS term, but is that also valid for Salesforce? That you know what I mean by that, right? No. So in Salesforce, if you ha- if you're developing in a in a dev org, that's Got a managed package and a prefix. Um, and you, let's say you have a custom object called microphone. Um, when you package that and then install that into client org or an installing org, mm-hmm. um, that your custom object name is is going to be prefixed with your, oh, with yeah, your prefix. Oh, yeah, I guess that. But well, in your Apex code that you write, right, that you package and is in your code base and everything, you don't have to use, you don't have to, you don't have to add those prefixes and everything. It's, it's going to have an autumn, you know, you don't have to deal with that. Right. I thought you said you can CSS almost had you can almost prefixing. pretend like you don't have a prefix. I thought you said CSS had auto prefix, and I was like, I don't it know. is no. That's why that, I think the term auto prefixing. I, I keep saying auto prefixing, but then I realize that is a, that's a CSS term. So like like the auto prefixer, auto prefixers that that will take your CSS and add all the. And this is not so much a thing anymore because this is now considered a bad practice. But for the longest time, this is like the standard practice, or it was a best practice, John. Oh, nice. Yep. Um, it would take all your. It would take like something that was not fully standardized yet, and add all the like. What, what were they like? Uh, web WebKit, blah blah blah, and all the oh. all the you know the prefix versions of those. Yeah, I get it. Yep. So that's where that term comes from. I, I don't know if people use that same term for this or not, but I do. I've never heard of it. It makes sense. I feel <laughs> like it's the right. I feel like it's the right term. I mean, it's like you. Yeah. It gets auto prefixed with your prefix, your package prefix. Okay. Um. What else did we want to get to? Community topic. Okay, let's do that. Okay. Uh, we have the we we can use the name. Okay, we'll do it. Actually, we we we've gotten our first release. Uh, the release is I approve the use of my name in discussion on the air. Should you deem that it's worth of your highly valuable time to do so? That sounds very legal. So I feel like we we can go ahead and use this person's name. And then he ends it with, uh, please consume Salesforce metadata responsibly. <laughs> no, this is very much <laughs> legal. We even have asterisks. Nice. We, have, we have a single asterisk and a double asterisk. Um, Ooh. Yeah, so double we're, getting, asterisk. we're getting pretty legalese here. Oh. But uh, this comes from a friend of the show, Matt Morris. Oh. Uh, who says, I'm a longtime listener, first-time caller, which is BS, because he's been on the show. <laughs> he has been on the show. Uh, but that was the first asterisk, was not really. Okay. Not really a first-time caller. Uh, he says... We don't hear a lot from Matt anymore. <clears throat> I know. He doesn't like us. Yeah. It's fine. We don't hear a lot from Sean either. Sean's, I just think Sean's... I assume these guys are busy. Either that or we just suck at this, which we pretty much know we do, because uh, we have ter- terrible... Uh, I'm just wondering we if have, we pissed off all our friends at We have terrible point. self-images. No we, have, we, have, we have ego problems, confidence problems. Please like uh, us. People come and they go. Uh, so, <laughs> so Matt says... Whilst... The, should I try to do it in a British? No, I'm kidding. No, don't. Don't <laughs> even try. <laughs> whilst, whilst attending London's Calling, the community-led conference with the best pies. Pies are a thing at London Calling. Does that mean pizzas? The best pies? What kind of pies do British people eat? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sorry, meat, uh, meat pies. Meat Let's pies. See. Let's talk about British pies. Meat. As it came out, the words British people doesn't is, sound very... Isn't uh, it isn't like the minced, easy, but... minced meat pies? Isn't that a British thing? Yeah. Um, shepherd's pie. Okay. I mean, that's got to be yeah. from like England or Scotland, right? 
Um, I feel like if you say pie in Britain, though, I feel like it's not. What's gonna- that pie with the jelly? Like you make it, but you purposely put like fat and it jellifies in the, in the thing. Jellify. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what you're talking I about. I think it is a meat pie that does that. Maybe it's so. like the meat pie, like on the, on it, like the fat jelly and congeals on it. And you're not, you're not selling it very well. I can tell you that. Oh, I know I'm not, but he goes on to say, I digress. <laughs> I observed that there were a large number of presentations re- relating to management and deployment of Salesforce metadata. Well, this leads into our last topic. They were both uh, vendor independent presentations and from people who looked to be true experts in the use of SFDX as well. As the older Salesforce Well, that's awesome. API. Maybe we need to have a show and get these people on, and let's just hash this crap out. Yeah. Educate us. Yeah. Because we're not doing it. <laughs> no. <laughs> I feel like I'm beating my head against the same wall for the past 10 years. I know. Uh, but they all had their own approach to moving config from development to test to production. Uh, I'll put my hand up and say that until recently, I've avoided messing around with Salesforce metadata directly because I see it as a huge time sponge. That's my feeling as well. Yeah. Uh, my recent experiences with both in- the Metadata API and Salesforce DX confirmed that it is indeed a huge time sponge and until you until you get things working. After which, there is still a good bit of care and feeding required to keep it running. Uh, uh, so his question is, uh, is source code and API-based development the future? With SFDX, Salesforce tells us clearly that it is. Oh, my question is not. <laughs> that is source code based on the development future? My question is... Why, and this is in all caps, I should scream it, but I'm not going to. <clears throat> why, after more than a decade of mucking around with source deployment and APIs, why, oh, why, oh, why, is there not just one way of doing this? Uh, and he says, keep up the good work. Hope to see you all at the GDS Army at uh, Trailhead, Trailhead, Trailhead DX. All right, well, it's a good question. Thanks, Matt. Um, I, I think, so... Part of the reason why it's it's like there's no single good solution to this is because Salesforce is trying to make too many people happy. They're tr- they've got their marketing message, which is take a, take a few trailheads, and you can have a hundred twenty thousand dollar year job, and uh, it's easy to clickety clackety, and you're all good. Mm-hmm. Or sorry, pointy clicky. I keep confusing those. Draggy droppy, pointy clicky, and you're all good. I thought those were the same thing. And this is where we got chain sets, which which are, which are I use all um, the time. They're okay for certain things. They really, it really falls down, though. Uh, it falls down in so many ways. Uh, the UI is bad. The repeatability is bad. The, there's all kinds of things that are weird that just don't work in it related to permissions and profiles. There's just like there's so many things that don't work with change sets. And it's just, you shouldn't manually, you shouldn't be manually deploying stuff. You shouldn't be piecemeal deploying. This is a problem. And it's, it's you know, people in the Salesforce world think about this wrong. And, well, and change sets, change it, sets, and reinforce that wrong thinking. I think it's because there were two different audiences. You had they are you had developers exactly. who were using the Eclipse ID at the my time point. and yes. metadata API, yeah. and they're yeah. deploying that way. And then they needed a way for for yes. because sandboxes were not a thing at one point in time. They did not exist. It was not a thing. You well, now you're really going back, but yeah, write code and then you deploy to production. That was your thing. Yep. Um, actually, no sandboxes came out with with Apex and Visual with Force. Apex and Visual Force, yep. right? Yep. Which is over 10 years now. But was Sandboxes a thing back then? It had, yes, it was. Sandboxes might have been before that. Sandboxes certainly were out no later than when Apex and Visual Force came out. No, I think they came out either they came out right at the same time or right after. Yeah. There might have been a, an overlap. But either okay. way, Sandboxes came out. Admins never used them. Right. They just, they were used to doing everything in production. And they continued to do so. And so when best practices started coming out and we had this kind of Venn diagram of overlap between 
the development customizations that need to get to production and the admin customizations that need to get to production, Sandbox has become best practice, but there's no way for admins to deploy their stuff. And there's really no good way for developers to deploy their stuff. This is this is the problem that, again, we've been working on for, we've been dealing with for 10 years and it's not solved. You got, you got this huge third-party uh, ecosystem out there of all these people trying to solve it. And, and I think they're doing some interesting things, but it's an int- ultimately an intractable problem still at this point. Um, but anyway, back to the, you know, Salesforce is trying to please too many people. They're trying to like send this marketing message, which is not true. They're trying to make it seem like it's, this is a super easy and you don't need to be a smart engineer, which is not true. Um, and then you got people within Salesforce that I think have some weight and pull that ultimately resulted in the whole DX program and the hiring of certain people to, to work in that role and to, and to deal with that audience within Salesforce. And I think those people came in and said, oh, crap. This is harder than I thought it was going to be. And it's, I mean, I, I really think it's a problem that will, mm. if they if Salesforce ever truly solves it well, is a 10-year problem. It's a decade-long problem to solve this. And they've, they've, they're chipping away at it. They're making improvements. And I greatly appreciate them, what they're doing. They are, they, they hear what the type of stuff we talk about. Um, they know what the problems are. They're working on them. It's just, it's, again, it's, it's a decade problem at a company of Salesforce's size with that much legacy in place. But it still comes down to to the ultimate question, which is why is there not just one way to do this? And is it is it because will there ever be because a way Salesforce to do this? hasn't been fo- they ha- there hasn't been there hasn't been a strong vision in this area, and there hasn't been a focus. And again, they want to they want they I, I feel like they've been just trying to please too many audiences. Is it possible for them to to, to to combine this into one solution? I mean, is is there something that will satisfy developers and admins that would work equally well? Or do they no, need because, two different paths? No, no, you can't. I mean, on any significant org, and I, I mean significant, really, or or significant managed package, you basically need someone who is has the skills of a release engineer. I mean, this is this is not easy stuff. This is stuff that people, you know, I mean, that takes a really experienced type of skill set to really get right and, and to do to have stuff that's repeatable, reliable. Um, you know that that. It's not the whole software development life cycle that people like to put on their websites. We are experiencing the whole full SLDC, you know, blah, 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 that kind of crap. I mean, because there's really some truth there. Um, there's, you know, when you see companies that, that can't get releases out, or they get a release out and it's buggy, or they, they can't get into, into production, I'm not even talking about necessarily Salesforce. It's A lot of times it's because they just don't have these processes in place. They don't have good control over their assets. They don't have, they don't have, you know, solid processes in place, and 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 more concretely nowadays, that just means, you know, having the doing version control right, you know, architecting, you know, ha- your modular system, whatever that may be, whether it's a SOA or microservices or a monolithic, whatever, you can do all those correctly. Mm-hmm. You can also do them very incorrectly, mm-hmm. um, and just and having some kind of like nowadays like a CI/CD process where it's literally just like you just decide, oh, are we done? Okay, sure, flip the switch, and it. It's in production, you know, having these just these things set up so that you're using modern tools and technology to your advantage and not brute forcing it with human effort. And right now in Salesforce world, it's a lot of brute force with human effort. There is no, and I, you know, this, this has been the conversation in the community, particularly in the good day story community, I've noticed that the, the, the assessment or the conclusion is this, it, you, there's really, there really is no, and I've come close but there, there's no such thing as like, you know, 
CICD automated deployments in the Salesforce world, you're babysitting every single one of them. Mm-hmm. And because there's no good build. There's no good, there's no known good build. Because yeah. John, it's not even compiled until it gets deployed. And traditional in every, every other kind of software, like you have a compiled final set of exact bits and it can be tested in all your different environments, right? And, and it's just, it's a fixed immutable thing. Whereas in the Salesforce world, what you, you're pushing up all your code th- to your destination environment. Then it gets, that's when it gets compiled uh, runs through all kinds of checks against the existing environment, make sure there's no clashes of all kinds of sorts, runs tests and whatever. And then, and then you'll know at the end, was that a good build? Well, if it's in production now, it's a good build. Right. <laughs> if it's not in production, then it wasn't a good build. And, but it's a, it's a, fleeting, uh, it's a fleeting thing because you can take that same exact set of source and try to deploy it to your other org or whatever, and it might fail. It probably will fail. Yeah. And so it's just, it's, it's just not there yet. I mean, this... I mean, couldn't you draw some analogies with, say, VMs or even JavaScript, where it's just just words in a document until it gets compiled real time or translated real time? Well, but we've done th- we've done things even even in like dynamic languages or scripting mm-hmm. languages. We've we've done things to make sure to minimize those things, and and VMs and particularly it, uh, containers are a great example of that. Yeah. Like you can deploy, you can basically like create a, a container that specifies its base image, and your code goes on top of that, and you're getting that no matter where you deploy that container to. You know, uh, what's Amazon's? Uh, e, uh, e, they've got a couple of different ones, EKS, whatever. You got Google's, uh, you know, Kubernetes container services. Microsoft has it. It's gonna work on any of them because you've because. Your container that you're sitting on, your your image that you're you've built your container on in your Docker file, is specified, and it's an exact set of bits. And I'm not saying that like there aren't, of course, with any of these technologies, uh, uh, there's somewhere there are edge cases, right? But yeah, because I mean that container contains your entire build and, and likely including your data storage, right? No, no, not in modern technology, not modern architecture. You would not have any kind of mutable storage on that. That's a, that's going to be a separate service, a separate container, or what else? Some mm. either data service or a database that's separate from your from your container image. Yeah. So. Anyway, and we're, so, and we're so, talking about such different things. You know, really, when I you're know. when you develop on Salesforce, you're really not deploying a build or developing. You're configuring Salesforce. Now, does that configuration get really complex and and stuff with a what looks like a programming language and markup and things, sure, but you're actually just configuring an existing running service. Yeah. And so there's a different set of problems. Anyway, I'm just getting better. You know, I'm not, you know, I don't want, I don't want to be, I try to be overly negative or whatever. It's, you know, it's no, that, I'm just trying to figure the, out it's the it, best it, CRM out there. <laughs> I, I think I'm just trying to figure out, you know, is the path they're on with DX the right path or are they better off hosting, you know, providing a new technology to, to host some kind of tech? container technology or something where we have a series of APIs where we interact with the existing database. Admins can do what they want. Developers basically upload their code. There's a, cause there's a contract in the API, whatever the interface ends up looking like. And, and that, that's the end of it. Maybe so. I mean, it reminds me of like when, when Apple goes, went from carbon to cocoa, you know, it's like, Hey, um, we could try to keep making this other thing better, but we're just coming up with this new thing. Yeah. 
or I mean, you can think of all different, you know, the Microsoft world. Let's, well, we know we've been telling you to try to get good with Com and all this crazy, horrible. Oh, you mean APIs? Like get really good with Aura and now learn <laughs> learn So that's, yeah, that's a little different, but how's it know. different? Because you're still just like writing JavaScript on the web, whereas when 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 Microsoft went from Com <sighs> to .NET, I mean that was just total different world. Well, Everything com, different. Com sucked. I, it, I, I say that because I didn't like <laughs> I mean, what do you think's under the hood of all your .NET stuff? I know. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I understood the theory. I understood what they were going for with COM. I understood what they were going for with all their enterprise libraries. It just, it created all these dependencies that just never worked out. Well, well no, they did work out. People built great software on COM. I mean, COM was a, a way to deal with kind of loose coupling, late binding of, of components of various sorts. And yeah. Oh. That's how all the software got. I mean, all this, you know, any good Windows software was, was com. And they, they yeah, DCOM. Did I touch D? I don't think I did. I did some DCOM. Well, then you had your whole enterprise library set. So that was a whole library that was pre installed, I think, by .NET. And you could use those libraries. I don't think I ever they did existed, that. They existed once in the system. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I ever did that. But then that sure created all these. Was that from of, the Patterns and Practices group or whatever? Yeah. 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 And it created all these dependencies and it was, it was just, it was horrible. Yeah. It's like, here's how you do enterprise software. We've figured it out for you. Here you go. Yeah. You're welcome. Use these libraries. <laughs> yeah. Then you'll yeah. be good. <laughs> yeah. Well, John, wow. This has been a wandering. I have other stuff. Um, but... We need to. Um, we need to get to the uh, at least to the, to the extracurricular part, All right? So we've been talking about the extracurricular. It's happening at at, at uh, Trailhead DX, which I don't even know what the date of that is, but you can look <laughs> oh, it up. But I, I just I guess I want to read this. So we we've talked. I know we're still in this um, phase of of kind of call for speakers. We want people to to you know we we need we need more volunteers right, to to give talks and share their share their knowledge with us. So let me just read this. Uh, so, the, you know, extracurricular is a learning event for Salesforce developers and architects interested in advancing and interest, uh, interesting use cases for Salesforce and other technologies. It is a community-built mini-event hosted inside Trailhead DX at Moscone West. It's designed to be conversational, and speakers will present real-world projects they have been involved in and be interviewed by a live panel of experts. Uh, and, and don't be, if you're considering doing a talk, don't, don't be... Um, uh, concerned about this panel of experts. I was on one of these panels last year, so, <laughs> I'm, so I'm not sure how expert. Uh, I think I lowered the expert uh, average on that one. <laughs> now, there's a heavy Q and A portion, so that attendees can develop a better understanding of what challenges, problems, uh, challenging problems were tackled, and how they were solved by each speaker. There are two types of presentations at the extracurricular: main talks and quick talks. Main talks are the core of the event, and quick talks are an opportunity to show off some work you've done and share it with your peers. Most of our quick talk speakers in the past have been first-time public speakers, and we love that. Uh, a main talk speaker for the extra is expected to be a capable, advanced developer or architect with practical uh, experience building complex things on Salesforce. In addition to technical ability, a speaker should be skilled in public speaking and explaining technical topics to an audience. Presentations will be heavy on demo and context setting with minimal to no slides. So it's very, um, what do you call that? Hand, not hands-on, but um, I don't know. 
I have, I have a beer brain. It's very interactive. Yeah, it's it's you're, you're really showing things. Not, you're showing, not telling, kind of yeah. in a way. Yeah. Okay. Think of this as presenting a case study to a live audience. You choose a real, real world project, uh, and you have a conversation about it with the audience. The format will be that each speaker is given a significant chunk of time, about twenty five minutes, to present their case study. Followed by around 50 minutes of Q&A. So it does really get conversational. So you don't have to worry about like presenting for an hour and a half. You present for 20 to 30 minutes. And then it just turns into this big conversation. Um, which can probably go, you know, they tend to go just almost like this podcast. It's like all over the place. Like you, We have what we think we're going to talk about. And then we end up talking about, you know, yeah. digging it just to some esoteric aspect of something. Uh, the Q&A begins with questions from the panel. And then opens up for questions from the attendees. Um, also, as a part of this event, we'll be having uh, people give quick and simple demos of cool technology things. So these are the these are the you know quick talks, almost like lightning. What well, you can't say lightning. I know you can't say lightning, but outside of the Salesforce world, these are called light, <clears throat> lightning talks. The topic, uh, your topic, is del- deliberately broad and vague. That's interesting. You'll have five minutes to demo something you've worked on or been involved with that you think other people would enjoy hearing about. And there's no slides. Uh, so, like an example would be, you know, show us a clever snippet of code or. Some some slice of an app that you're you're proud of, or a technical challenge you got stuck of stuck on, and you overcame in some kind of creative way. Um, there's no Q and A on those. It's just a quick demo. It's really it's really you're kind of up there just showing something you want to show while we're getting more in between main talks. It's like right. a you know just a transition thing. So no, we we're, uh, we've got you know links to to, to sign up um, if you're interested in giving either a main talk or a quick talk. There's a Google form, so we'll put that in the show notes. Um, you also get. Or you can I mean, go to extra the the extracurricular.org. Dot org. Okay, and it's there. Okay, the extracurricular.org. Yeah, okay. it's been updated. I maintain it. I do have a link to fix, but it's there. So, in addition to this, just being a, a good experience for you and a nice notch on your resume and all that kind of stuff, um, you also get your TDX pass comped. Oh, nice! If you're either one, if you know whether you're a main talk or a quick talk speaker. How was that, John? Did I do a good job? Did excellent. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we got our community topics done. We got our TDX done. Um, I got to circle back to the pie thing. Okay. Pie. <laughs> so, so Jody suggested I was thinking of a terrine, I guess is what she was saying, a terrine. But actually what I was thinking is, is a pork pie. Oh, pork pie? Pork pie. That sounds like a British thing too, is it? So the, yeah, the pork pie does have a layer of congealed fat gelatin whatever on the surface of it sounds delicious really is it really called a pork pie yeah it's a standard christmas eve or new year's eve treat in predominantly french canadian oh wait and my french canadian no no this is someone who's just saying they're like a scottish thing but i don't know where's wikipedia where you need oh so yeah traditional british meat pie usually served cold Mm. (laughs) cold. (laughs) so so they serve their pies cold and their beer warm (laughs) <laughs> go figure right and by the way English beer is not served warm it's served cellar temperature which is the temperature most beers should be that's how you bought my um, I made a uh, an English bitter Mm-mm. so I don't have a lot of experience with English beers in general uh, but particularly these um, so an English bitter it's, it's, it's funny it's, it's almost a misnomer because they're not they're not like Actually, I would not only are they not aggressively bitter or particularly bitter, they're really I don't think you would drink one and say, Oh, this is this is a bitter beer. But I kind of read some of the history and the, and the name is in contrast to like at the time, this is I don't know, I'm guessing somewhere maybe eighteen hundreds or something. Or maybe it's actually early nineteen hundreds. But you know, the the 
kind of standard beer was like a mild, which was like this brown, kind of sweet, low-gravity beer. Mm-hmm. And the bitters were just effectively not as sweet. But you know, you know, people would come in, it's like, you know, you come into the pub and you're like, it's basically a mild, you want a mild or a bitter. And so they would say, oh, you know, give me that bitter. And so even though it's not a real bitter beer, that became the name for it. Now, strangely, a lot of times when breweries bottle their beers, they would, what wouldn't be a bitter in the bar, they call pale ale. It's, that's kind of how, where pale ale came about. It was, so it's the, the breweries, talking about? the breweries liked to call, for whatever reason, when they bottled mm-hmm. the beer, they liked to call it a pale ale. Whereas the same thing in the pub is called a bitter. And mm. I'm sure the, I'm sure I'm going to get corrected here probably on or getting, I'm getting something. Yeah. Are hot. I don't know. Either, either way, I want a pork pie at some point, like a genuine British pork pie. Like I want to fly to London and go eat a pork pie. Mm. On, this, on the, on the, on the, I want to sit on the steps of 221B Baker Street eating my pork pie. <laughs> okay. Well, you should, hey, that's, <laughs> I feel like that should be a life goal for you, John. But anyway, back to my, I'd, I'd made a bitter about a month ago. I kegged it a couple weeks ago. And of course, being an American, I overdid. I overdid the hops. And when I first kegged it, it was really bitter and way too hoppy. The thing is, these English bitters, but these are low gravity beers. Americans aren't used to this. These are these are three to maybe four and a half percent. And then you get up to like an, an ESB, which I think is actually a trademark name by Fuller's. But um, uh, what do they call them? Uh, I don't know. There's like, there's like ordinary bitters, bitter, special bitter. There's basically, they're just... It just means it's just increasing gravity. And they go from like three, three and a half percent all the way up to probably at the t- high end, like you like pale ale or ESP, like 6%. But this is a 4%. I tried to do it like pretty traditional. Actually, it was inspired by the first TDX I went to. There's a, down the road from Moscone, there's a, a little brewery called Cellar Maker in San Francisco. And they had a bitter on tap. And it was only like 4%. I was like, this is going to be crappy but i want to i kind of want to taste an english bitter you know that's kind of freshly made or whatever because mm-hmm. you know when we get fullers here and these other things they're they're not you know they're they, they survived the trip across the atlantic are the, how fresh are they it's you know i don't i don't think i don't think it's the same as if you have it at a pub in england you know so but this was you know brewed right from this brewery so i thought i'll, I'll give it a try and i really liked it i was like holy crap for a four percent beer this is amazing and i've been thinking about that beer for like two years now been dreaming about it i kind of have and so I'm, I'm made, and I knew a little bit about the recipe, but not much. And so I kind of took what I knew about what they said and then all these other recipes for bitters and mm. uh, made one. But I just, I'd, it's gotten a lot better. I have a couple of weeks cold conditioning in the keg. It's not near as, the hops aren't as overwhelming anymore. And it's a little bit better. It's good. It's, it's, it's drinkable now, but it's, I don't think it's, I don't think it'd be recognizable as like a normal bitter to like, to, uh, to an English guy or gal. That's that's an experience I want to have. So someday I'll make it over there and get you to do all that. It's an expensive place to visit. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, it's one of those things. Like I've got this list of places I want to visit, and it's England always gets knocked down a few notches because it's just because value wise, it's it's expensive to fly there and to stay there and to eat there. And well, it's because they got the big Ferris wheel thingy. So that's a huge draw. Is that what it is? Yeah, <laughs> just the Ferris wheel. Yeah. <laughs> I think Americans also are infatuated with the whole, on a somewhat serious note. I am. Um, with the whole uh, royalty thing, right? It's just like, No, not the royalty. Not for no, me. I'm saying Americans are in general, I think. I think I'm just, just like enamored by British culture for some reason. Really? British comedy culture. You're an Anglophile. British, British sci-fi, I You're guess. an Anglophile, John. And, and you're, you're obsessing over here about a, a pork pie, meat pie. Pork pie, <laughs> meat pie, Baker Street, uh, Doctor Who, uh, British, old British comedies, uh, all that stuff. It's yeah. all good stuff. How about Benny Hill? 
I, I like Benny Hill for different reasons because I was a little adolescent. <laughs> I like to see girls running around in lingerie. Oh, you're so creepy, John. <laughs> <laughs> Why else did anybody watch Benny Hill? <laughs> Pretty much. I can remember my stepdad. Like I was probably five years old. He had he always watched Benny Hill. It probably came on PBS. I would imagine thirteen yeah, or so. whatever. Yeah. yeah. Our but what, so what was the comedies that I watched? Uh, Faulty Towers, I think, was one. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Doctor Who. Big fan of that. Um, you watch? You, is the Sherlock you watch? Is that British? Yes. Yeah, so I like the Jeremy Brett um, series. Okay. He did that series. Um, it was just like the the adventures. I don't know. There's different series. He, uh, they call it different things, but he was he was probably the best Sherlock Holmes I've ever seen. Um, I did like the the Cumberbatch one, but it kind of petered off towards the end. Like the first season was awesome, the second season season got worse, and then it just kept getting worse from there. Um, what else did I like? Uh, what about um, I, the IT Crowd? What was it called? IT Crowd. Yeah. Um, Are you being served? Uh, keeping up appearances. Yeah, big fan of that. Um, absolutely fabulous is a guilty pleasure. Did you watch what was this? <laughs> um, what was this New Zealand comedy that was? Flight of the Concords. Did you ever watch Flight of the Concords? No. I know I know that's not British, but it's a, it's at least a Commonwealth country, right? Um yeah, you should watch Flight of the Concords. Watch go watch some old episodes. Yeah. It's these guys are hilarious. <laughs> uh yeah, Mark says Oh Monty Python. How can oh, you yeah. Monty Python? Yeah, yeah. Well that's that's also that's like uh, a given. That's not yeah, exactly. You don't yeah. even have to say it. Um no, Mark likes Faulty Towers and Peep Show. Did you watch Peep Show? No. Yeah, no. I never heard of it. Peep Show? Yeah, it's different. <laughs> Well, John, we have a lot of things. Do we, do we want to talk about, you know, Salesforce's bad news they got, they got this week? Or? I don't I don't. It's kind of too political. It, it is a little bit. I just wanted to say that this will surprise some people. So Salesforce is getting sued, right, um, mm-hmm. by um, supposedly 50 women. 50 Jane Doe's. Um, 50, yeah, 50 anonymous women, I guess, protected or whatever, who is part of this Backpage thing. And I guess Backpage was a... It was. It's a Craigslist clone. I mean, that's what I only know about it, what you've told me about it, because um, you're so knowledgeable about it. But it's, <laughs> Not uh, knowledgeable. <laughs> <laughs> no, was uh, was it on was it on like the dark web or Tor? One of these things. I don't, I don't know. No, was it, it was, it, it was just... a site just like Craigslist, but it had a dark side to it. Okay. Craigslist also had a dark side to it, but they got rid of it sooner than Backpage. Well, this was way worse. So this was well. Backpage did try to get rid of it, but the users of Backpage switch their ads to other portions of it, so like to massage and all that kind of stuff. So they're still doing it. Sure. I mean, heck, you could just walk around uh, the streets. It's like one of those things, like, you know they're doing it, but no one's talking about it, you know? And Backpage knew who was using it, but they weren't talking about it. Well, it sounds like Backpage was, I mean, that was absolutely their businesses. Yeah. Prostitution and just the whole infrastructure. To do all this stuff. And, and, and again, the, the accusation is human trafficking. Of course, they got shut down like a year or two or something ago. I mean, they got ma- massively busted. They're all in yeah. jail, right? But now some of the women who are supposedly victims, um, I should say allegedly, I, don't want to, I want to keep this legal here. Alleged victims, 50 of them are... Well, I think they're... I, I don't know. I think they're... They're suing. Yeah. And they're saying allegedly Salesforce basically helped, knowingly helped Backpage um, do all this. And I'll just say I read the I actually read the lawsuit and I just don't think they have much of a case. I mean, it, I, there's there's not much in there that tells me that Salesforce even knew what the hell they were doing. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they. I mean, obviously, they, if, it was, if it was Backpage, I knew Backpage was a customer. And and I just, I'm not I'm not making any adjudication here. I'm just saying that it doesn't sound like a great case. And there was a couple of points though. One was that 
And this was like a point right out of the lawsuit, like, you know, they state facts. So one of the facts was Salesforce didn't just provide Backpage with a customer-ready version of its data and marketing tools. Salesforce designed and implemented a heavily customized enterprise database tailored for Backpage's operations, both locally and internationally. And there's a couple other things like that, too. So, because what I was wondering is like, I mean, I could sign up for Salesforce right now and get a, you know, five-user enterprise thing, and no one's even going to know who I am or what I'm doing. They don't they really don't go digging in your data. They don't know what business you're in unless you yeah. unless you have a relationship with them and you tell them what you're doing. I'm also curious whether or not this was a Salesforce professional services implementation or a partner implemented because, I mean, Salesforce, all they really care about is getting that license. I didn't see any partner mentioned. I in didn't the, either. But, I mean, all Salesforce really cares about is getting the license and getting that contract. You yeah. know, they'd rather have someone else implement it. Yeah, and they don't, they, I mean, I really don't think they look into your data. I mean, yeah. they, they can if you grant them access, but I mean, they're, it's not like they're going through and auditing or trying to figure out what business you're in or deciding whether your business is good or bad. They're not doing, yeah. they're just not doing that. So I don't know. I mean. But I mean, it, 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 um, it gives um, their new hire, uh, Paula something, I forgot her name, Paula something. Oh, the, the ethics person or whatever? Yeah. The, the ethical use of their software person, <laughs> VP I, or C level person. So I think yeah, if you have these people, you know, you have to give Salesforce the, the presumption of innocence. And and unfortunately, you know, this it just even though, and I haven't seen what any analysts or whatever say about this, legal analysts or otherwise, but it, I'm not sure there's much proof in this gonna, that's going to come out in this lawsuit. And unfortunately, it's just it's a horrible. It's like you know the last thing you want to be called like as a politician is a racist, right? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter whether you could be the purest person with not a racist bone in your body, but if someone accuses you of being a racist, it's like all of a sudden you're a racist now. And I feel like that's kind of the situation here. It's like, you know, Salesforce is just being cast in this really bad light. Yeah. And unfor- and I, my hunch is they had nothing to do with it and they didn't know it was and they weren't helping them do anything bad. You know, Salesforce has, you know, thousands and thousands of companies that use this platform and they have no idea what they use it for. It's like, you know, what if I, I could write, you know, about a, a business plan on Google Docs to do some kind of prostitution thing. And th- th- Google's not going to know. They're not right. reading everyone's documents. It's, it's, it's kind of the same thing. So I'd, my, uh, my advice is everyone just, um, you know, let the facts come out, presumption of innocence. And I really don't. I mean, I, I can't imagine. It, it, it just doesn't make any sense. It goes everything, you know, against what Salesforce stands for. They don't need the money. They, don't need, they didn't need their money. Much better just to fire them as a client than actually, oh, yeah, we need, we need your license. No, they didn't. Yeah. It just it makes no sense. Yeah. It just doesn't make any sense. So You're right. I agree. So that's my take. I think it'll blow over. Yeah. I know it had some effect on the stock, but it was marginal, I think, for the most part. It did, yeah, a couple couple percent off or whatever, but yeah. um, it'll, it'll bounce back tomorrow. So, yeah. again, I'm, and, and not, to, um, not to take anything away from the, the victims, I mean, what what they may have gone through or whatever. I'm sure it's horrible. Not saying that they're not victims at all. Uh, you know, so I don't want to make it sound like I'm saying they're making stuff up or whatever, or they're not victims of some, someone's victims. I just, you know, the question is whether or not they're sales, they're, they're victim of Salesforce or not. And yeah, that is what I'm skeptical about. And, and I believe in the letting that legal process play out. Hey, I heard, I just, just a plug, just randomly thought of this, but, um, didn't Chuck and, um, didn't Chuck do a who, who does he do these uh video series with um Ro- uh Robbins what's the guy's name Oh um shoot <laughs> nice guy Anyway um 
we'll think of it in a minute. But there, is it Plural Site where they do these talks, these yeah. these recordings? And I think they did a free. It's a, I think it's free. You can watch the so Chuck. Um. Oh my gosh, I can't think of the guy's name now. But anyway, he did. They Don Don, Don Robbins. Don Robbins. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Sorry, Don. Um. Beer brain. But anyway, they did a, a like a, a session on Lightning web components, and supposedly it's free. So uh, I would go check that out. I haven't looked at it yet, but I need to because there it is. We got a link. We'll put it in the uh, put it in the show notes. John will John will put it in the show notes. <laughs> I will. That's, that's my job. I need to watch that um, to get my start building some LWC chops. Yeah. It was funny because my wife was looking over my shoulder. I think I was on Slack, and she goes, "Why is Chuck Liddell in your chat?" Yeah, I was like, "That's a different Chuck." <laughs> she knows she's heard the name before. So my wife. I mean, he is one of the more famous Salesforce developers. So here's the story. My <laughs> wife. Um, was big into kickboxing. She was trained by a professional kickboxer. What? How did I not know this? And it turns out Chuck Liddell is the one that beat her trainer, her trainer's ass and made him retire. Well, if someone's going to beat your ass, it might as well yeah. be Chuck Liddell. So right? apparently Chuck Liddell was the reason her trainer retired. <laughs> it's because Chuck Liddell beat his ass. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so yeah. she knew the name. Okay, yeah. so just confirmation, live, uh, live feedback here. It is totally free, and it's like two and a half hours, so... Sounds like something to really sink your teeth into. Yeah, grab a snack. To take a guided a guided tour of LWC if you're uh, if you're still in Aura land. Aura, Aura, Aura. We need to do that, and we need one for DX. It probably exists. I'm sure. I bet you Don's got some things on DX. I bet Chuck's on at least one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I have all the tools installed. I've, I keep, I have to like every time I go in to mess with it, I have to click update or not click, but type out update because it's all CLI. Yeah. But um. Yeah, every time I get started, I something distracts me or I don't have the time and then I have to start all over again. As far as all these, you know, there's there's been the, they've some of them have come and gone, but these different sites where you can pay a subscription and get access to all this like video content. Mm-hmm. Pro is the one that, you know, they've they've lasted. I feel like they've kind of risen to the top a little bit, you know. Cream floats to the top. Yeah, I was getting really annoyed with the Udemy ones because their advertising campaigns were just gross. Do you remember like what was it, Treehouse? Was Treehouse? Treehouse um, and LinkedIn was getting a bit annoying with their training stuff really yeah. i didn't even know they hadn't had anything yeah they do all right <clears throat> um well john we've talked about uh dx trailhead dx and the extracurricular um if if dear listener if you are not in in our amazing slack community please come join us it's very friendly it's uh we're very it's it's helpful and, and it's funny and, and we have a good time it's at uh the way you join is just go to gooddayserpodcast.com and you click on community and just put in your email address. That goes right to John. He will he will add you and we delete the email address. Don't keep those or sell those or anything like that. Um, if you would like to send us a question or a just a topic or just private feedback about us or anything else, uh, you can do like Matt Morris did and you can email us at info at gooddayserpodcast.com. I'm actually not sure if he emailed. Was that email? That was email. It was email. And now I'm going to use his name everywhere. It's gonna um, make stuff up and use his name. Yep. Uh, please leave us a review. It's like so, it's an easy way for you to just take a few minutes and and give back. Uh, it helps the show. I think I don't know. Um, you can do that on iTunes or the podcast app, I guess, or Google Play. And I'm working on Spotify right uh, now. Spotify. And maybe I, next week. I'm sure you've gotten us over. To, you'll be able to I'm sure you've gotten us over to Fireside because you said you were gonna. You said that would, that was gonna happen That's over part your of last transition. break. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's about so, to happen. So along with that app you were going to build and... No, it's uh, about to happen this we, we have a We have a, a, a graveyard of your... <laughs> yeah, we don't talk your, about the app, first of all. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. I we're forgot. full of app clubs. We don't talk about app clubs. 
you know, it's it's the intention that counts, right? <laughs> Is that the way life works, John? I'm my gonna, dog died. Tell my, I have I'm, a pass? Yeah, that's true. John's <laughs> dog did die, like literally. Uh, I'm sorry, John. That's a. It's always a tough thing, man. That was a horrible thing oh, to I say. Kinda, well, you're going for the sympathy. There. I am. Yeah. I'm secretly hurting. Right yeah, now. Uh, I'm sure you are. I'm sure you are. Anyway. All right. What else, John? His name was uh, Monster. His name was Monster. He was a good dog. Very good dog. He was a big dog. Yeah. He was 120 pounds. He was a... Of muscle. He was a gentle monster. He was an American bulldog. Yep. None of this French, not, not, none of this French crap. English bulldog, an American <laughs> bulldog. Yeah. No. Oh, is it English or French? I can't remember. Are there other bulldogs of every country? I don't know. I don't know how this works. He's a... He's a so the breed is an English bulldog... With a mastiff, breed it with a mastiff okay. to breed them back up to work dogs. Okay, pulling dogs basically. Pulling dogs. Yeah, I bet. He, yeah, I could see him being a pulling dog yeah. for sure. Just that's the way they're built. All right, John. Um, what else? We recording next week? Uh, yeah. I would say also, um, the uh, code coverage guys have released a couple of episodes which have shown up in my catcher really? that I've actually managed to listen to. So awesome. I always like to catch up. Always like listening to those guys. They're smart. And uh, interesting, and more on the developer side, but that's kind of my thing. So smarter than us for sure. I would say so. They certainly have more certifications than us, and so that, oh, ma- no. that must mean they're smarter. I got to work on that. Yeah, I know how to do. I'm so behind the certifications. Uh, hashtag partner life. <laughs> I still have zero. <laughs> oh, I'm 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 at least beating you then. Yeah, I let yeah. my developer one slide, and now I got to do it. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm ahead of you. We need to keep a, a tally going. Yeah, well, we should that, actually. And, and to that, and to that, I say good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir.